When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. We're pleased to be joined, as always, by Tech Sideline founder, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman. We want to thank everybody for listening on SoundCloud each and every week, and we want to welcome in, for the first time, our viewers on Facebook. We've got two ways you can either watch or listen to the Tech Sideline podcast, but before we get going, guys... It's been a busy weekend in tech athletics. How are you holding up? It's been very, very busy. Uh, And generally, Thanksgiving weekend is our busiest week of the year because there's basketball season, and then there's football season, and you have to cram five days of work into three days. Well, three and a half days because I worked on Thursday. uh, Yeah, Chris actually works on Thanksgiving. I actually work on Thanksgiving, believe it or not. No days uh, off for Chris Coleman. Well... Friday I was off, technically. <laughs> so so I can't believe I'm going to say this on a podcast, but Chris, you need to sit up straight. Oh, man. Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's get right into it. And we have a ton to talk about on today's podcast. We're going to try and keep it right about 60 minutes. Here's what you can expect. A full breakdown of Virginia Tech's 15th consecutive win over Virginia in the Commonwealth Cup on Friday at Lane Stadium. It was exciting. Everybody was on the edge of their seats. There were times it looked like Tech was going to lose, but they come back and win. We're going to break it all down. We've got your fan questions. For those that are watching on Facebook Live, if you chime in, you're going to get your question read first. We've also got a lot of people responding on the message boards. And on Twitter, we've got our Tech Sideline poll question of the week. Men's basketball has been going on. We haven't talked in two weeks on the podcast. They won the Charleston Classic. Fell to Penn State last night. We'll break that down. And we've just got a lot of great Hokey athletics to get through here in the next 60 minutes on the Tech Sideline podcast. So I got I got we got to pimp two things before we get started. Number one, if you can see on Facebook Live, I'm wearing a, a TSL pullover and TSL branded pullover. And we really haven't. One thing that we haven't promoted is is our online store where you can get magnets, T-shirts, a couple of really nice pullovers, koozies, some glassware, some etched glassware. So. If you want to uh, check out our store, since Christmas is coming up, some great gift ideas for TSLers, just go Google TSL. Well, Google it. Let's see. What, what, what had the best result? I think it was TSL Gear K2 or Tech Sideline K2. And that will bring up a link to our, uh, our store, which is hosted by K2 Awards in Richmond. So check that out. And the other thing we need to do is we need to thank uh, Fisher Law Firm for sponsoring the podcast. This week and every week, the TSL Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people. We got that updated. (laughs) 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation anytime, day or evening, toll-free, give them a call, one 800 680 7031. Again, that's 1 800 680 7031. Or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So, what is that? Is that somebody asking a question? Well, I think the way they view it on Facebook, someone's uh, saying the logos are reverse 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The way well, I wondered like. about that. Okay. But again. Because that's what it looks like here. So For our listeners on the podcast, we've got all of our tech sideline gears will set up. We've got the football helmet up top. Uh, so it's a really nice look here in the studio. But let's get right into it, guys. We've got 60 minutes. And let's go back to last Friday, where I think every Virginia Tech fan probably felt every emotion you could po- possibly feel as a football fan. Hokies win it in overtime against UVA. You've still got a smile on your face, Will Stewart. How do you reflect on it a couple days later? Well, I'm just laughing because when, when Ryan Willis threw that interception on, what was that, the Tech 20-yard line, 15-yard line? Yeah. <clears throat> UVA was leading 28-24. Willis throws the interception. There's How much time was left? Like three and a half minutes left? Yeah. yeah. And I wrote this in Monday Thoughts. I, I turned to my buddies and I said, I am not going to stand here and watch that team celebrate their first win in 15 years on my field and i'm not going to watch them drink from that commonwealth cup on my field and all my friends just looked at me that was basically an invitation to to leave (laughs) i'll admit it because i just i couldn't take it everybody around me just sat there so i turned around sat and watched the rest of the game and i'm glad i did so um i wrote monday that i think that uh i think that that is one of the top tech uva games of all time it had a lot of back and forth, you know, the, the drama. And I've, and I've said this before, that in order for a rivalry to, be a rivalry to be a true rivalry, you have to be afraid of losing. You've got to be afraid that you're going to lose that football game so you feel that, that joy when you win. And, you know, UVA's made a run at Tech a few times recently, in about, particularly since about 2012. There have been some close games. But even in the one, you remember the one game where, Chris, what year was it where UVA took the lead and then Brewer threw the long pass 2014. to – 2014. That was 2014. Tech was in real danger of losing that 2014 game, but I just didn't feel they were going to. Well, there was no lead-up to that game where people thought Virginia was actually going to pull the upset. I always felt Virginia Tech was going to win, and I picked Virginia Tech to win on Friday, and I thought they had a good chance of it. But within the context of the game, yes, I thought Virginia Tech was going to lose. So that's what made the game so much special. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think Virginia fans, you know, they knew coming into the game this was their best chance. But even then, because of the previous 14 years, I don't think they were supremely confident. My best friend from high school went to UVA, and we were exchanging text messages on Thanksgiving. And I said, hey, are you ready for the big win tomorrow? I mean, I thought UVA was going to win the game. And he said, no way, man, y'all, y'all are going to win. I don't even want to watch. I'm going to go to the gym instead, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, y- y'all actually have a great chance to beat us, and you're not even going to watch it. And he's a season ticket holder to UVA, so he's a real fan. Then he hit me up at halftime of the game and said, I told you. And I said, we're awful in the second half. Just, just keep watching. Y'all are going to win. <laughs> so there's me, a Tech fan, telling him that UVA was going to win, and him, a UVA fan, telling me that Virginia Tech was going to win. Um, so it was kind of an interesting dynamic, and even the guy sitting next to me to my left in the stadium was a UVA fan. He came in there and just told me, y'all are going to win. I didn't know him, but he was like, he's like, I've been going to every UVA game since 1996. Y'all are going to win. I know this is our best chance, but y'all are going to win. And this guy was so distraught when they missed that wide-open touchdown pass in the second quarter that he just got up and left. First he sat with his head in his hands for like five minutes. And then he just got up and left. So the mental state of UVA fans right now when it comes to this rivalry is very fragile. 
And players are human, too, so you can't tell me it's much different for the players. And I, I think the UVA players have put too much pressure on themselves. I mean, they've got the countdown clock to beating Virginia Tech. That's all they talked about at ACC football kickoff back in July. Uh, they chose not to talk to the media this past week because yeah. they said one Which was interesting, by the way. As if talking to the media for 15 minutes is going to have an outcome on the game. Come on. It just makes them look like, I don't know, I just think they put too much pressure on themselves to, to win this game. And, and I thought they, they probably played tight in the first half. And, uh, you know, Ber- uh, Perkins short-arming that deep ball on the, on the wide-open pass. I mean, it was just uh, – Yeah, it, it's, it's funny that when you, when you go back – if I was a UVA fan, this would drive me crazy. When you go back and you look at all the plays they could have made that they would have won the ball game, and then all the plays Virginia Tech made that passed to Dalton Keene, that, I mean, that's crazy, you know, and, and the fumble into the end zone for – recovered for the tying score. And then UVA's quarterback just – he, he and the running back just flat dropped the ball. So there was a comment. It was either a game recap or my article on Monday. There was a comment from a Tech fan who sat near a UVA fan in the stadium. And he said that uh, even when it looked like, even when it looked really grim for Virginia Tech, this UVA fan was telling him, oh, you watch, you watch. We'll, we'll get real conservative on offense. And the guy just laid out what was going to happen, you know. And, and certainly after UVA went up 28-24 and uh, Ryan Willis threw the interception, for UVA, it was run, 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 run. They're absolutely right. They went super conservative, even though Perkins was 7-for-7 seven for, seven for 206 yards in the second half at that point. They just turtled, and they opened the door, and a couple crazy things happened, and next thing you know, you've lost 15 straight. So one thing I saw on Twitter right after the game, and I've got a lot of a couple of my close friends actually play on UVA, and I've got a lot of friends who go to UVA, and the number one thing I was seeing on Twitter actually following that loss, it wasn't upset that they – you know, lost it to Tech. It was everybody was going after Virginia's offensive coordinator. That Rob, Robert was, Anai, is that his name? Yeah. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And I think you're right. When you look back on it, Virginia, to have first and ten inside Tech's red zone with three minutes left, Tech's out of timeouts. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was run, run, run. Correct? Yeah, it was run, yep. run, pass. Uh, they threw the pass on third down. That, At the uh, very end, they did throw a pass. That's right. Um, well, I mean, I meant the when they had to settle for the field goal. Yes to, yes, to tie to go up by seven. Yeah, they, they, they it threw was it. A, it was run run pass. Yeah. They, they threw it in the end zone, and uh, I forget. Oh, it was Diablo who broke it up against the slot receivers. Achilles. Yeah, he was all over the guy. Right. Um, now the two types of running plays that they ran on that possession were the types that have given Virginia Tech fits all year. It, you know, the first play of the game was an outside run with the quarterback with a bunch of lead blockers, and Virginia Tech has failed to stop that play all year. Georgia Tech ran that play right down Virginia Tech's throats. And so I understand why they why they did it because they ran a couple of different plays that Virginia Tech hadn't been able to stop all year. Virginia Tech stopped him this time. Um, Dax Holyfield got his inside shoulder to the outside shoulder of the pulling offensive lineman, and that forced the play back inside. And Ricky Walker, who was apparently finally healthy now, yeah. was there to clean it up. And that's how you play uh, a, a running play like that. And Virginia Tech hasn't been able to stop a play like that all year. I need to take a pause right now and. Welcome TSL podcast superhero Jeff Holland. Oh, <laughs> so he's Jeff's watching, watching right now. Yeah, he's probably mad that uh, we, we weren't doing uh, Facebook Live when when he was in here. <laughs> so, by the way, here's another plug. If you haven't heard the special edition podcast with Jeff, you need to go back and listen to it. It's uh, it's two hours long. He tells a lot of stories about uh, when he played for Tech and before and and even after. Jeff has seen. Metallica in concert over 90 times. Oh, man. He goes back, back you know, pre-Inner Sandman and Lane Stadium days, Jeff was already a, a big Metallica fan. So uh, 
the podcast ended up with eight empty cans of beer on the table, and uh, we had a pretty good time. So if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to yeah, it. Yeah, go check it out on our SoundCloud page. And uh, by the way, Jeff was uh, on the field for the Miami game. He was recognized with, I believe, the 95 team? The 93 team. 93. Yeah, a lot of 93 guys out there. Uh, so where were we? Uh, well, well, continuing on with the UVA, and, right. and I'm going to go back to Twitter. There was another thing, and I want you guys to answer. A true or false question. Virginia's best team in the last 15 years just lost to Virginia Tech's weakest team in 15 years. Uh, true or false? It's it's probably half true. Uh, I think this is probably Virginia Tech's weakest team of the last 15 years. Um, I don't think it's UVA's best team in the last 15 years. I mean, there were tw- two times in this rivalry in the last 15 years. The winner of the Virginia Tech-Virginia game was the Coastal Division champions. 2004 um, and 2011, right? Uh, 2007 also. So yeah, two thousand. So three times. Excuse me. I, I, well, um, there was no coastal in 04. Right, right. You're right. You're but right. but I do um, think we'd have to go back and right. look. I do think that that one. But that UVA team was very good that year, and uh, and w- there have been better t- UVA teams than this. And, and I, I, they were competitive this year. They're better than they normally are. It was also the ace, the coastal division was also down this year. Right. Quite frankly, it was a bad division too. So I don't think you can sit here and say this was UVA's best team. Was it one of their best four or five teams in the last top yeah. 15 years? Yes, but was it their best? No, I think the 2017, 2004 team would I just smash this UVA team into oblivion, personally. I also like the uh, 2012 UVA team, Mike London's first year, when they went to the Chick-fil-A Bowl, and they were the third best team in the ACC that year. No right. kidding. I know 2011, they, they, they were ranked when, Be- Tech, when Tech went into Scott Stadium. Because I, I think Clemson and Virginia Tech both got BCS. That was the year that Tech went to the Sugar Bowl. Therefore, the next best bowl possible was the Chick-fil-A Bowl, right. and UVA finished third. And so, now, they wait a you're talking 2011. You're talking to the that was the it was the 11-12. It was played in January of right. 12. Right. Okay, yeah. yeah, there you go. So, anyways, I saw that on Twitter. I found that rather interesting. Let's go back and talk about a couple of plays that just when you look back in the grand scheme of this game, that Virginia Tech just won. They won these plays, so to speak. That's right. One that I think that everybody is forgetting is Trey Turner's Sports Center number one top catch to start that game off. I mean, what a bang to open up the second quarter, get the first touch, and I don't think that's getting enough recognition in the grand scheme. Yeah, of it's, it's not. I mean, that was quite a two-minute stretch there for Trey Turner. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. Um, but you know, there were two 50-50 balls in this game, Trey Turner's and Dalton Keene's, and. Virginia Tech won both of them, a true freshman and a true sophomore, against a first-team All-ACC cornerback at UVA. And, he's, and that was Bryce Hall. Yeah, Very the, the All-ACC teams were announced uh, yesterday or the day before, and Bryce Hall was first team. So a couple of other ones. You've got the block punt. Virginia Tech won that one. Okay, We go to the Ryan Willis running down. Maybe <laughs> And it's funny, it's actually a great question that I'll bring up a little bit later about Willis and how that play might define his career at Virginia Tech. That play. Then we go to the second half. To be able to get the three and out on defense, Tech won that essentially over UVA. The jump ball, the fumble in the end zone, then the fumble at the end of the game. We're talking about six or seven plays that Virginia had every chance to win, yeah. so to speak, and it all went Virginia Tech's way. And, and I am legitimately asking myself, when is UVA going to win a game in this in this matchup? And it wouldn't surprise me, and remember I said this, it wouldn't surprise me if – when UVA finally does crack the seal and win one of these, that they'll win it easily. They'll win it by a lot. They'll have a good team. Tech will be – maybe they will have – it's something similar to this year where Tech's graduated a lot of guys and has a lot of injuries. 
And all that stuff you just talked about will go UVA's way instead of Tech's way. And it'll wind up being a two or three touchdown win because that's how this happens a lot of the times. So I used to play racquetball against my college roommate my freshman year. And he's just a uh, he's a better athlete than I am. But he was, he was also, he's extraordinarily good at, at uh, hitting a golf ball, um, anything that involves a racket or a bat. You know, he's just really good at that kind of stuff. So I used to get up on him. We'd go play a lot of racquetball, and I used to get up on him 10 to 1 or 11 to 2, and, and he decided to start playing, and he'd come back and beat me. Well, finally I got up on him 12 to 2 one time and then beat him 15 to 3. So when it happened, it happened. And I think that's probably going to be the way it's going to happen for us. Uh, for UVA someday. I hope not, but, you know, all good things must come to an end. Yeah, I mean, it, I do believe in the law of averages, so they'll have to beat Virginia Tech at some point. Um, yeah. I, and, and maybe next year, because it's not like UVA doesn't has a lot of seniors. You know, I think they've only got eight seniors. Uh, they weren't playing as many freshmen as Virginia Tech was yeah. this year. But yeah, they're a competitive football team, or at least a more competitive football team than they were. And, you know, getting Bryce Perkins on that team was the big turnaround. Yeah. I mean, he was a difference. I mean, they went 7-5. and five. Four and eight, five and seven, something like that. If somebody else was playing quarterback, in my opinion, they would. Uh, they would have probably, you know, lost a couple of those close games that that they ended up winning. And remember this too about UVA. Beginning of the year, they had this transfer coming in from Missouri, I believe, and this quarterback. And then after they thought they had him for um, for summer camp, essentially, he was denied admission to Virginia. I believe they, really? they did not get in. So again, Bryce Perkins. Could you say in the last ten years? Maybe the most talented quarterback Virginia's had? Uh, well, it depends on what you're talking about. I mean, their quarterback from last year is on the Falcons roster right now. Correct. I don't think Bryce Perkins will ever play a down in the NFL. He's not a good enough passer. But, but he's a better fit for but what they're a, trying to do. Well, well, I think he's a better fit to cover up the weaknesses on their team. They've right. only got one good running back. Uh, they've only got one, well, maybe two good wide receivers. One really good wide receiver, one decent wide receiver. And then their offensive line is just meh, mediocre. Um, so I, I think, but I think he covers up a lot of that. I mean, I remember last year when Virginia Tech shut him out. Uh, when who was their quarterback? Oh my gosh, Binker, Kurt yeah, Binker. Kurt Binker, that was his name. All right, I uh, finally know. Yeah, something you know he, Chris he doesn't. Know. <laughs> I was about to say uh, their, their previous quarterback's name, and I've already forgotten it too. Uh, the guy, Matt Johns. No, the guy who came from Georgia. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, but I think, uh, or no, they got transferred to Georgia. Yeah, I don't know. There, there was someone who transferred to uh, yeah, Georgia. You're yeah, right. You're right. Uh, anyway, it's, it's bogging down. Let's go. It is. What, it what is. point were you making? I don't know. I've already forgotten. You, you were talking <laughs> about how Perkins is uh, a, fits in better. Fit, with well, team. yeah. he met, Well, I think he makes everybody better. And, you know, last year when Virginia Tech faced, uh, faced a more pocket-oriented quarterback, I mean, I think they sacked him four or five yeah. times, and UVA could barely even pick up a first down at times in that game. Uh, there's just more to worry about back there, and I think when you have a bad offense, you need a quarterback who can run the read option, and, you, and that can make your offense significantly better. I don't think the Virginia Tech 2016 offense would have been dominant with a quarterback who couldn't read the re, run the read option like Gerard well, Evans, like, like Ryan Willis is not that he, not great right. He, he's he's not he's just basically when it comes to the RPOs and the read option, he's just not a good decision maker when it comes to that. He's basically up there guessing. It's a fifty fifty game for him whether he gets the right play or, or makes the right decision post snap. And so there there could be some games where Willis is better, and maybe he makes two thirds of the, of the correct decisions out there, but there are going to be some games where maybe where he only makes one third, one third yeah. and we're going to be absolutely awful offensively. So it's just kind of a crap shoot there with, with him. Uh, like he only went 14 or 34 passing the other night. 
I just I, I did not think he threw the ball well. He did. And, and he tends to throw it behind his receivers a lot. I thought the uh, crossing pattern to Trey Turner, the, the, last, the last of Trey Turner's four big plays or so, that ball was very well thrown. He hit him yep. in stride. Yeah. And his pass to Turner in the end zone, that jump ball, I mean, I think that's that one of his nice. best passes. Well, he's, he's great at throwing those passes. He, I mean, he loves yeah. to throw that to uh, – to, uh, uh, Hazelton, and I mean he, he. So, and by the way, I do give a shout out to Doug Bowman here on the Facebook Live. Grayson Lambert was the name Grayson of that Lambert. UVA quarterback. Look at that. That was such a UVA. I love name. having this interactive. Being able to this is this is great. So, that, was, uh, that was such a UVA name too. Grayson, Grayson Lambert. Lambert. <laughs> and well, I used to think you know Carlton Weatherford was a fullback for the Hokies, and I thought Carlton had a UVA name all the way. But he, he was. A I played fullback. against Carlton in high school, and uh, trust me, that there's not a UVA bone in that. <laughs> <spot>. <laughs> Just, it, 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 it wasn't all in a name in that case. I want to make sure we we give the, the amount of justice to just how special the last four minutes of the fourth quarter and overtime were in this rivalry's history. And to, and to kind of recap it, I have to ask: when Willis threw that t- that tip interception, it's twenty eight twenty four. Did you think it was over? Yes, I did. Um, and something I need to do is uh, if you go to look at. Uh, ESPN.com's uh, <clears throat> game archives of things. One of the things that they archive is your chance of winning. Um, and I would like to see when that play was made and UVA was there, what was Virginia Tech's chance of winning? So last time I looked at one of those was when North Carolina was on Virginia Tech's goal line with the football. <laughs> was it 99? You know, I thought it would have been 99, but it was only like 78% chance for of North Carolina to win. Because there was still a lot of time left in the There's game. Because remember that, la- that last drive was a long, time-consuming drive by Tech. Yeah, so um, I, got, I need to go back and look at that and see uh, see what the game cast, I guess they would call it, would say about that. But Yeah, you know, I, I've seen enough that I know to hang around despite my desire to leave. I know enough to hang around. I learned that from the 2009 Nebraska game. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't think it was going to happen. I, I didn't think it was going to happen. Um, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to happen even if Tech held them to a field goal because they were in the middle of a stretch right there where Ryan Willis threw like – it was probably like five out of seven passes he threw. They got batted down at the line of scrimmage. Right. And I'm like, geez, we can't even get a pass. <laughs> Through the defensive line right now. How are we supposed to go down the field and score? When I believe the, the last two series, he went incomplete, incomplete, interception. Comes back after the field goal. Incompletion, incompletion. Dalton Keene. Dalton 50, and then, 50 then he just ball. chucks that thing to Dalton yeah. Keene. And, and I thought that the analyst on the ESPN game, I believe his name, uh, Rod Gilmore, Rod I believe Gilmore, his name, yeah. he, he, had great, he had great insight. He said, Dalton Keene was not open yeah. on that play. No. He said, I'm going to throw this ball up and give him a chance to make that play against Bryce Hall, I believe it was, all-ACC yeah. first-team cornerback. And Dalton Keene, I, I feel like in the, in the grand scheme when we talk about offense for Virginia Tech, I know he's not the one like Hazleton ca- catching all these touchdowns or Turner with the electrifying plays, but Dalton Keene, the progression from freshman year to this year, he has been a part of some really important wins for Virginia Tech this season. I think he's a, he's developed into a really strong player, and by strong, I, I don't mean good. Yes, he's good, but I mean he's a physically strong guy. Yeah. Um, you've seen him break tackles out on the flat this year and take it 70 yards for a touchdown against Duke. Even with guys hitting his legs, he's not going down. And then he's able to pull that out of the air uh, against against an all-ACC cornerback. What he did to that linebacker down on the goal line and Deshaun McLeish's touchdown run. I mean, I, I think he's a physically strong player as a true sophomore who's only going to get stronger as he gets a little bit older. And think about a couple of plays he had. Too. I mean, the, the Duke game when he had that like 67-yard touchdown, the screen pass they had for him against he Miami. Off, right, yeah. right. 
Yeah, he's this is great. He's hitting. He's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. He's got two more years, and he's really starting to to hit his stride. So you got two more years of this. So it's looking good. Let's go to the Stephen Peoples run. So not only was Virginia Tech in a little bit of a slump offensively, as we just mentioned at that point, they able to get down the field. And Peoples fumbles in the end zone. When I saw that ball go in the air, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Steven Peoples has been such a good player for us. And I don't want his career it's to his last his, game. His, I, I couldn't get through all this in my head, but basically what I'm saying is like, man, his last game, he's going to cost us the game by fumbling out of the end zone. Are you kidding yeah. me? And I think and there's a UVA defender right yeah, there. Yeah, it just kind of bounced the So other if way. you watch that clip, the the ball shoots out of, out, out of Peoples' hands. And it's bouncing forward at a certain rate, and right as that defender reaches for it, I can't remember his name, it checks up. So he overreaches it, right. you know, and then it goes that way out from underneath him, man. You, you can just I, see you can just see my mom up there who passed away in 2008 just pushing that ball around. You know? uh, yeah, it was kind of like angels in the outfield. You know, <laughs> yeah. How do you explain that, right? Um, I think I was on Charlottesville radio last night, and they asked me how much of that was Virginia Tech making plays and how much of it was UVA just – you know, not not not, not making plays, and I said, I you know, I think it's fifty fifty both. Um, UVA had opportunities to make plays and they didn't, and then Tech was you know very fortunate that quite frankly UVA and UVA did not make some of those plays, like the first half missed pass, and and you know some of those like the fumble in the end zone and things like that. They blocked a field goal but lined up or blocked the extra point but lined up off sides. See, you were worried about that, but I saw it, it was yeah. – w- which stands were you in? I was in the East stands. I was in the East stands, but I saw him jump. I right, knew he was I, Right away I knew right. that was a flag. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was uh, I was probably still busy celebrating the touchdown. I'm not sure what I was, uh, <laughs> what I was doing. Uh, but I, I thought Virginia Tech was fairly fortunate to win the game, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think there's only so much karma you can get in a week, so maybe that's why we lost to Penn State last night in basketball. We used up all our good karma on Friday. And to think overtime, to think that Virginia wins the coin toss, Tech not the best offensive series to begin overtime. And then I think, no. again, an, an unsung hero in all of this is Brian Johnson. Because, you know, he's, you know, let's face it, he's got a great leg, he's got a bright future, but he has struggled down the stretch. So let, let's and, go back. We need to give him his due, but let's go back even before that. Ryan Willis, I believe it was third down. Virginia, where where was the ball spot? Oh, it was on the point? twenty-five yard line or twenty-three yard line. Just may, maybe slightly. I don't think we moved point. the ball at all. I think it was on the twenty-five. Yeah. Willis runs backwards, and Charles Snowden gets his hands on him at like the forty-yard line. Yeah. And Willis somehow shrugs him off and throws the ball. You got to get it over the line of scrimmage, right? Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, you're talking about your heart going in your throat. Oh my gosh, he's going to tackle Ryan Willis, and this thing is over. Maybe not over, but Virginia Tech's not going to score on this possession. So that's another play that I think people probably won't remember in the future. And, and I meant to bring that up because the fact that he was able to get out of that, I thought he was one for sure sacked. Yeah. And now we're talking about two plays that Ryan Willis made a mistake and was able to Fix rebound it. in the middle of the same play, the yeah. interception. And then that the first one was nuts when he just ran over the official. By the uh, way, that was a great stiff arm. That was a fantastic. Yeah. It was more of a shrug. He just gave it this with the other. So he was giving him the business. If you haven't seen this, <laughs> if you haven't seen this, go look at uh, Tech Sideline's uh, YouTube page, uh, YouTube.com/slash/TechSideline, and I put a video up there that it puts uh, Tiki Barber's 1996 run down the sideline and follows it with Ryan Willis's tackle. Um, 
uh, down the sideline. Those two plays happened in the exa- in the exact same spot. So I believe I'll put that on YouTube. I know I'll put I think it on it's Twitter. It's on Twitter, yeah. Hmm. I don't remember if I uploaded that thing. I think I uploaded it to YouTube. So anyway, interesting stuff. And then let's let's get to the fumble. Let's we go to overtime. Tech makes the field goal. Brian Johnson. Not only did he make it, he crushed that right down the middle. Yeah, and he had missed five or six in a row. Yep, and but, he, but they were all long. And they tried Jordan Stout in the middle of the game, and they went back to Johnson. But I think what when my initial thought when Virginia Tech got oh, excuse me Virginia got the football, great pattern to run on that little out route for like an 11-yard gain, Perkins completion, they're down to the 14-yard line. And you're sitting there like, well, if they're throwing the football that well, they've been running as well as they did in the second half. But there were times in that game where they had struggled on handoffs. It wasn't just that play. Really? Because I didn't notice that. And, and when that fumble happened, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't realize he fumbled it until – Literally, the entire defense runs to midfield. I didn't either, and the ESPN announcers didn't either. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, I knew it. I, I don't know what I saw, but I saw it. I saw the, the way the players were moving, and I may have even gotten a glimpse of the ball on the ground. So um, I, I knew what was going on. But, yeah, it's, it's a shame. You go back to watch that play, and I said this in my article on Monday. You go back to watch that play uh, on YouTube or on your DVR or whatever, and – when Jim Druckenmiller throws it to Jermaine Holmes in 1995 for the game-winning touchdown, I interviewed Bill Roth one time years ago, and Bill said, I knew something good was going to happen on that play. And he said, I reached over before the play started, and I turned Mike Burnham's mic down so I could have the mic. <laughs> the ESPN announcer was the exact opposite. He had no clue even after the play had happened. So it's kind of a shame. When you go back to watch Druckenmiller, you get the whole, you know, Jim Druckenmiller fake short, firing a deep, right. and, and it's all the call is perfect. And you don't get that watch rewatching this play. And I will give credit because Adam Amin, who does the play-by-play, is actually he's awesome. One of the bright stars up and coming. It's tough as a play-by-play guy because you know you're waiting for the official signal. You know you don't want to jump the gun and call it and then and uh, I it was just it was so surprising. I don't think anybody was really expecting a fumble to happen in that place in that time. It, it almost even though we're in overtime. And everyone's on the edge of their scene. Almost caught people off guard a little bit. Is that fair? I I think so. I think that was about the only way Virginia Tech was going to win. Um, I truly thought the way it was going to play out was that UVA was going to get a running play to the perimeter. There was going to be a missed tackle, and somebody was going to run into the end zone, pretty much untouched and unthreatened. Probably thought, Bryce Perkins. Uh, probably Bryce Perkins. Maybe uh, the running back, number one. Yeah. Whatever his name is. Jordan Ellis. And by the way, I, Jordan I, Ellis. Thing. I believe Burnup. The play before that happened, if you go back and listen, by the way, a great call from Lays. It was a great call. Well, it was awesome. So he did see it. He did. It, okay. Well, well, and Burnup jumps in in the middle of the call. That's a fumble. It's actually, it, it's actually really cool the way it happened back and forth between the two of them. And then Lays, you know, the cup is going nowhere, Mikey. It was a great call. But Burnup actually, I believe, said the play before, I think Tech's going to have to have a turnover to win this game. So I turned, you know, I wrote this in my Monday article, right. and you read it. I turned to a friend next to me, and I said, you know, I can tell you exactly how this thing's going to end, what I just said. They're going to have a running play. We're going to miss a tackle. They're going to score. And, there was a, and she goes, yeah. And there was a pause, and I said, maybe they'll drop the football. And they dropped the football. Yeah. So the minute that they do drop the football, I have to ask your initial reaction. What did you say? What did you do? I mean, were you in shock? How, how did you react? Just that feeling of. You know, there's like 
and this is going to sound like a weird thing to say, but I remember when Matt Ryan threw that touchdown pass in uh, 2007. And there's that moment where you realize the pass was complete and your brain goes, it's over. Uh, there's like seven seconds left on the clock. This is not going to happen. That was in a sad way. And in a good way, you, you know, Virginia Tech gets the football and, and your brain goes, wow, this thing is over. Wow. You know, and, and, and I, I, since I've gotten older, I don't freak out. I, I just kind of, I think my mouth just dropped and I was like, wow. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking things like my life just got easier and more pleasant for the next week, you know. And meanwhile, everybody around me is just freaking out and going bananas. How did you react, Chris? Did, did you lose it? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really lose it that yeah, much these yeah. days. I've really calmed down as far as uh, how I react to games. Like, I used to get really mad when we lost basketball games. And last night, I just wrote the article and went to bed. Uh, I was still know? mad. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's how I want to close out talking about this football game. I got to give a shout-out. To my man Sam Rogers, my all-time favorite Hokie. Oh, man. Because, listen, I know that there are a lot of people out there who don't like the changes to the third quarter and the let's go Hokies and the no Hokie Pokies. I'm I, doing it. I get all that. But let me tell you, when Sam Rogers got out there, I was ready to run through a brick wall. How awesome was that to have him there? It just was It was perfect because a lot, the, all the other times this year, the games have been blowout to that point. Yeah. And to have Sam Rogers. I mean, can you imagine playing and being a teammate with him? He's doing that every game. I mean, he's got the whole stands on their feet ready to go. I never liked the hokey pokey at the end of the third quarter, particularly right. at the end of the third quarter. And I've never liked orange uniforms, so 50% of the things I don't like about tech football are now gone. <laughs> and But even when they replaced the hokey pokey with what they replaced it with, I don't think they really got it right for the, fir- for the first year. Uh but now you're getting guys like Daryl Tapp and Sam Rogers, guys who really know how to work a crowd like that. And you could tell Sam, man, he really meant what he was saying. Oh, there was no <laughs> acting. I mean, that, was, was... that guy was fired up, and that, that was fantastic. And I, I, it's hard to generate something like that each and every week. So yeah. you got to pick your battles when you want it to be really good. Right, and when you, well, and also the game was close. I mean, it right. wouldn't have been the same if you know it was a fourteen-point lead or a fourteen-point deficit. Correct. Right. It, like I'm glad they didn't waste Sam Rogers for the Georgia Tech game. Right. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things. Uh, um, you got to pick the right people to do it, and you know, there's a there's a certain amount. And, and again, this is going to sound like a strange thing to say. There's a certain amount of theater involved when you are the person on the field. You're far away from everyone. So it's like when you go to see a play, the actors on the stage have to, their, their movements have to be more pronounced. Yes. You know, so that people in the back can see them. It's not like acting in a movie or on television where the camera's right up on you. So when that person is down there, there's got to be a lot of, you know, he was doing a lot of, lot of pointing and this kind of stuff. There, there's a certain amount of theater involved, and it's almost like the people doing it have to be coached. You know, I don't um, think Sam Rogers need any coaching there. No, that, though, right? some of them might need it though. If you just stand there and do this, right, you're not looking very exciting to the to the fans that are really far away. So again, just a kind of weird thing that went through my head. Especially if, like, let's say you're in the north end zone and the jumbotron's behind you, you can't even see when the camera's zoomed in on them and uh, and, and see how excited they are. So you've got to look look out there and be able to tell that they're fired up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, definitely, really, really cool, and I think a good way. Even though this is going to be the Marshall game this week, that's a good way to really, essentially, close out year two of that. I think with a lot of momentum going into year three with the. the I think marketing that did such a great job of getting a lot of good people, like you said, in this year, and excited to see who they bring in for next. Yeah, year. Yeah, we'll see what they do with it from here on. So Tech wins their fifteenth consecutive 
uh, Commonwealth Cup. We just broke it down here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which you're listening to on SoundCloud. We also, again, say hello to everybody watching on Facebook Live. We've got some questions there we'll get to in just a little bit and our poll question of the week. But now we need to shift our attention to Marshall. And as you heard Justin Fuente say at his press conference on Monday, he said every second, because he gave the guys off Saturday and they came back Sunday, and he told the team, every second that you spend reminiscing on that game is essential. you, you got to put it behind. It's wasted. We, you know, it's playoff mode, as they've been preaching. you got to put it behind them. I want to be the first to say, the Marshall Thundering Herd, I know they're not a Power 5 team, but this is a darn good football team coming into Lane Stadium. And Chris has been doing some research. Yeah, I've, I haven't started my preview yet, but get, looked up some stats this morning. I know they're really good at not allowing the big play. It's really hard to break off a big play against these guys. They're number seven in S&P Plus defense, which is an advanced stats metric. But things don't quite add up. They're number 90 in S&P Plus special teams and number 110 in the country in S&P Plus offense. They have a redshirt freshman quarterback who's only completing about 55% of his passes. Uh, Their offensive line I don't think is very good. Their running game's not all that strong. Their quarterback's not particularly mobile. Uh, I think this is a good matchup for Virginia Tech. Um, I, I know they're eight and three, but I think the fact that their offense has been so limited this year, and the fact that Virginia Tech's defense—I'm not going to say it's good now, but it's certainly peaking. This is the—it's the right time to play him. Well, Ricky Walker looks healthy. Yeah, Ricky Walker's and, gotten and healthy, and Dax Holyfield has taken big strides. Really, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, and Taiwan Garbett's been better the, the last few weeks. So uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech's defense. They've at least played a good half for three of the last four games. Um, they did not show up at all in Pittsburgh, but they played well against BC for most of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, they played well against Miami until it just became evident that the offense was never going to be able to do anything. And then it's easy, it's easy to check out mentally in situations like that. And they played well against UVA for a half, and then they came up with a key stop or two when they needed it late in the game. So they've gotten better. And... They're, so I would say they're peaking right now, and they're going to be going up against, quite frankly, one of the worst offenses in the country in Marshall. Marshall is like your prototypical Virginia Tech team in the latter stages of the Frank Beamer era and that their offense is completely awful and their defense is really good. Um, except their defense has been really good, and they've only played, I think, one F, F, uh, not FBS, one Power 5 opponent all year. That was NC State who scored 37 on them. Right. So – I think they'll be challenged by Tech a little bit more. They've got some smallish corners. Um, if Virginia Tech plays as well as they're capable of playing, they will beat Marshall on Saturday, in my opinion. Is this a tougher matchup than East Carolina, though? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and ever tell you that a 3-8 and eight football team is a, is a better which is, matchup. Which is East Carolina. Yeah, which is East Carolina mm. is a better matchup than an 8-3 and three football team. I would have rather played East Carolina at the time, I think. Especially at the time, because East Carolina had just lost to North Carolina A&T. I think they had played UNC at that point. Yeah, they had beaten UNC. Yeah, turns out that that's no mean feat. Right. Um, no. um, and, you know, it does bring up an interesting topic of conversation, because if you read what was given out to the public about this contract with Marshall and how much money Tech would pay if they didn't play them. And now that we are, I think it's $300,000 we're playing Marshall. It's $100,000 if they didn't play and 300000 if they did. Is that correct? Correct. And then the other thing was Virginia Tech would consider Marshall in future 
uh, non-conference games down the road. That in was fact, the one they will play at Marshall, and that is what we're now hearing in the 2023 and 2024. Yeah, and I haven't had a chance to go into the future schedules. We have a future schedules page on Tech Sideline. It's under the football menu, future Virginia Tech football schedules. Um, I haven't had a chance to go in and bounce that off of those schedules because the schedules are full out to like 2028 or something right. like that. But I haven't had a chance to go bounce it off and, and see who I think is going to go bye bye. But yeah, I mean, let's put it out there. I, I I think one of the one of the questions off of Twitter yeah. was about the future of Virginia Tech and East Carolina, and that's what I was going uh, towards. Yeah. What do you yeah, think? It, those, it, those, I, some, those schools don't like each other right now. You know, ECU yeah. doesn't even have an athletic director. Uh, you know, and, and Witt's angry, and not that I blame him, uh, about them not waiting until Wednesday to cancel that game. I think he came on a little too strong in his press release when it did get canceled, and then as a result, East Carolina got mad at him. And when they scheduled NC State for December 1st, from what I understand, they scheduled that game without even informing Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech found out about it on Twitter, basically. So I think that relationship. So Virginia Tech is found, gone. Out, found out about the cancellation on Twitter. They found out and found about, out about East Carolina East, and East Carolina NC State, and NC State on Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, so I, I think both sides share some fault in this personally. Uh, but ECU but shares more. ECU probably shares more, and I just don't. I think they need to take a time out from each other. Well, and that's what <laughs> that's what I was you know I was going to ask. A lot of people have been asking. That is one of our questions. Can Virginia Tech? And I don't know if we know the answer. Can they get out? Of the contract they're in with ECU, is there a violation, the fact that they uh, scheduled a team instead? And, you know, quite honestly, a lot of Hokie fans have been saying they don't like the series with East Carolina. Why do you think that is? Because they play them every single year, and it, and Tech fans feel like that series does more for East Carolina than it does for Virginia Tech. They're right from, from that standpoint. But I don't think your average Tech fan understands that Virginia Tech is just not a strong school when it comes to revenue anymore. I mean, we're talking about a school that's in the bottom third or, or, or bottom so, bottom third bottom third of Power Five schools in revenue. So Virginia Tech is signing up these series against East Carolina and Old Dominion and and Liberty, and they're given and they're getting them for cheap because they're willing. Virginia Tech is willing to play one out of every three or four games on the road. Um, so they're getting cheap home games as opposed to. I mean, some schools, especially in the SEC, are playing paying over a million dollars for a buy game, which is easy to do when you have a hundred thousand seat stadium. And yeah, Virginia Tech and cannot afford to do that. Yeah. Yep. And there's a question right there from Leo Monroe: Can we switch ECU for Marshall? And again, I, I think that if you could, you find know, that, that went through my mind. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Well, another candidate would be Appalachian State, and, uh, and that's a program on the rise right now. And well, and, well. App, here's the thing: Appalachian State has a better chance to beat you than. Than East Carolina. I mean, you got a better chance to lose to East Car- uh, excuse me to to Appalachian State than you do East Carolina. That's and a I, good team. And I think Marshall right now. I mean, I don't want East Carolina would. I mean, East Carolina, Appalachian State would beat Virginia Tech right now if they played tomorrow. Mm, I don't no want kidding. any part of that series. They're Dang, like nine strong words. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm just going on the fact. I looked it up. I think they're 150 miles apart from each other. And there's oh, a, I mean, I think if if Virginia Tech operating at their peak, I, I would enjoy that series very much. I don't yeah. want anything to do with it right now. And there's an interesting comment there from Jim on our Facebook Live that he's saying that ECU, ODU, JMU will not get you top-notch SEC-type recruits. But what I'm uh, saying – But look at SEC schedules. Correct. They're playing they schools like Louisiana Lafayette. They're bringing in the Citadel, like Alabama. And, you know, you know did, did playing Nebraska and LSU and teams like that and Texas A&M, did that really improve our recruiting any? Uh, I mean, I don't know that it did. I think you are going to recruit how you're going to recruit based on 
location, how much money you have, national perception, things like that. I, I don't. I personally don't think scheduling has anything to do with it. But again, so what what we do know is what we've heard. It's not officially released, but in 2023, 2024, it looks like Virginia Tech will replace ECU with Marshall, with Marshall. on the <laughs> schedule. And there is a little bit of a break here in the next couple of years between Virginia Tech and ECU to begin with. Is there? So I believe it's there the, is. There's one or two seasons where they don't play. So again, so they play 50 million times, take a year or two off, and then play 50 million more times. <laughs> and if Tech replaces them with more, and again, it will be interesting to see if anything like this ever happens again. You know, what will? It seems like there's a pretty good relationship being built between Marshall and Virginia Tech. So, so part of part of the reason that you schedule a long term series with somebody like East Carolina is that you then have a close working relationship with that school, and that school will be flexible. And will move games. And, and I remember after Virginia Tech first signed the series with East Carolina, somebody made that point to me. And then Tech got these offers for these games in Atlanta against Alabama and, and FedEx and things like that. And ECU was always willing to move games around. Mm-hmm. So you become partners and you communicate and you're flexible while East Carolina quit communicating. And that kind of devalues or invalidates that part of the relationship it's more than it's about more than the contract and how much you're paying each other and where you're playing it's about working with each other and east carolina quit working with virginia tech so we'll wrap it up with this because actually we're getting a lot of comments here on facebook about this and potentially bringing in marshall and a lot of these uh comments one from jared morton you don't need ecu with the odu series a lot of Uh, i agree with that oh yeah yeah Yeah, exactly mm, not keen on having them both so, anyways, a lot of great comments, and actually what we're going to do is uh, transition into someone's comment, because I think it's important to talk about this before we jump into basketball, and that has been the coaching changes in the ACC Coastal literally in the last hour and in the last weekend. <laughs> yeah. uh, North Carolina has hired Mac Brown as their next head football coach in Chapel Hill. They fire Larry Fedora. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see Let's how that works out yeah. for him. And I'm actually excited to get into this because I've, I've heard a lot of people actually comment literally on the message boards. We can't wait to hear CC's take on this. <laughs> okay. And then literally within an hour ago, and Aaron Frampton uh, wants to know thoughts on Paul Johnson, the coach of Georgia Tech, is retiring. Hokey fans, you can sit back and rejoice. It looks like that triple option is gone. I would have liked it to have been gone this year, but anyway, that's another. So what is the bigger storyline to you? Mac Brown being hired at North Carolina, or Paul Johnson and the triple option now being gone, and the Hokies don't have to worry about it anymore. Bigger story for Tech. Bigger story for Tech. I, I think I call them about even. I, I think it's fairly even, uh, but the the triple option affects Tech for one game a year, maybe two, depending on who gets hurt. Uh, the North Carolina head coach will will uh, affect Virginia Tech for every single football game that Virginia Tech plays because Tech and UNC recruit against each other so much. So to me, the UNC hire is, is, the, is the bigger deal. And I think Mac Brown, quite frankly, there's a re- reason he and Beamer are, are pretty close friends is because they're such similar cl- coaches. I, I don't think you're going to call either a guy an X's and O's genius or anything with the exception of Frank and his pump blocks. But I think they were really good at hiring – coaches putting them in the right position to succeed and and just backing off and letting them do their thing uh, you know and uh, there's some carry over there too because Jim Cavanaugh was on the UNC staff with Mac Brown did a great job recruiting the state of Virginia the Richmond and the Peninsula area and all that I mean there were a lot of good UNC players from Virginia back then I mean William Henderson who, who was one of my favorite players for the Packers growing up I believe was recruited to UNC by by uh, Jim Cavanaugh. Yeah, so Cavanaugh, to, to put some time on it, Cavanaugh came to Virginia Tech in 97? Uh, that, that time frame. Yes. 
And that was about the time that Carolina was peaking in talent. And yeah. you're right, a lot of that talent came from... I think it was 96, but I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah. But, but Kavanaugh had, yeah. had reaped some benefits Absolutely. for UNC in that part of the state. And, and that, you know, Frank talks about how... Did he, did he say Phil Elmacian was his best hire ever? Yeah, he did. I would call Jim Kavanaugh and Bud Foster... That's really right. three guys that Frank hired in his career that made a huge difference in the program. Yeah, uh, I wrote an article once about Frank, Bud, and Cav, and I, I called him the tripod because uh, I, I don't think anybody ever gave Cav enough credit. Uh, you know, he was an awesome recruiter, and he also really helped Bud out on defense, and Bud will tell you this. Um, Kavanaugh had never coached defense before he came to Virginia Tech. And then just like that, he was coaching Whips and Rovers at Virginia Tech and was a really good Whips and Rovers coach. But he could talk to Bud about, as a former offensive coordinator, which Cav had been at, at Maryland and Marshall wow. and some places like that, he could tell Bud, okay, here's my scouting report on these offensive players, and here's what I'd be doing if I were an offensive coordinator against you. So I, I think Kavanaugh was uh, – you can make an argument – you can make an argument for all three of those guys, but he's certainly right up there. And he was on Mac Brown's staff. And, you know, Tim Brewster, who was Jimbo Fisher's recruiting coordinator, first at Florida State and now at Texas, Texas A&M, A&M, he was also on that staff at UNC. And uh, Ken Browning was a really good recruiter for, for UNC back in the day. I believe he was on that staff. Uh, so I think Mac Brown won at UNC back in the 1990s in a very similar way to how Frank Beamer built this very strong program at Virginia Tech. Now, that being said, if something happened to Justin Fuente and he was either fired tomorrow or he was left for, to take another job or something like that, would you rehire Frank Beamer? No. I, no you can't do that. <laughs> I, and I, no and offense, Frank, but no. no. No offense, but you don't want to go that route at this point, yeah. and I don't think UNC should go that route either. Now, granted, UNC has been awful the last couple of years, and I think they're just looking for stability, and I really don't think expect Matt to coach for more than – Five years? Yes, maybe that. Maybe not even that. He's 68 right now. Yeah, so you want stability, but at the same time, I don't think you can have true stability unless you're stable with recruiting. And, man, they're opposing coaches are going to hammer you and see on the recruiting trail with Max Age saying, he's not going to be your coach for four or five years. So, counterpoint, I agree with you, but counterpoint is that that's st- – Stupid UNC brand seems to just bring guys in for for no legit reason. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, you can play football games in front of a, a two thirds empty stadium. They don't care. I remember. Hey man, it's Jordan School. I'm going there. Well, you remember we were. Uh, well, I interviewed Lou Johnston, who was uh, coached a lot of good players who went to Virginia Tech, and he also coached Dre Bly, who went to UNC, and Dre was was from you know Chesapeake area. Yeah, listen to this and, story. Uh, Dre Bly goes down to UNC, and and Dre Bly liked. Like, a lot of football players actually like basketball more than football, even though he wasn't very good at it. And he goes down there, and, and they let him meet Dean Smith. And this certainly, I'm not saying it was the only reason he picked UNC over Virginia Tech, but they let him meet Dean Smith, and all of a sudden he's like, man, yeah, I'm going to UNC. And I'm like, you just met a guy who's never going to coach you one day in your life. You'll probably never talk to him again. You'll probably <laughs> never talk to him again. But that, but that's the impression you get coming back from the UNC campus. Oh, man, I met I met Dean Smith. So, you know, these UNC recruits, I'm sure some of them go down there and, oh, look, there's Michael Jordan. He's in town for the white weekend. And, you know, so it leaves an impression on them. Uh, I think UNC has – I think they've got a lot of potential in football personally because they've got – they don't have a, a lot of money per se from a income – from a revenue standpoint, year-by-year revenue. But they've got a lot of big donors and – 
they're in an area where they're just close to a lot of recruits, quite frankly. Uh, I mean, there, there's, what, two or three interstates go through that area, the Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill inter, uh, area, and there's, there's a lot of recruits right there in Raleigh-Durham area anyway. You know, it's, it's close enough to Charlotte and Greensboro and Winston-Salem, and even the 757 that I think they can have a really good program with, with the right coach. I don't know about this one, though. Um, right. I, I, I could see it stabilizing them to a certain extent and maybe that's maybe that's what they need maybe I mean, they need maybe to, it's all about what coordinators he's going to bring in like like what if he hires cliff kingsbury and that and that's what, i've seen that uh, the, there's been a couple of rumors that there's been talk about bringing gene chiswick as de- defensive coordinator and that's the last and then, time carolina was good was right? when they had him as defense and then cliff kingsbury is offense coordinator i'll be honest with you guys when i saw this i know that he is 68 i love this hire for really? carolina hmm. i actually think that this and I was curious to get your. T- I understand he, the one reason I don't absolutely am all in on it is because he's sixty eight, right. and I don't know how long he's going to be there. But there's just something about Mac Brown to me on the outside that I think guys are going to want to go play for someone like Mac Brown. I think he's, he understands UNC, and the thing that I found interesting in his first interview yesterday with UNC was that he talked about how what to me the number one thing I took away most important to him right now. Is stabilizing recruits in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. How much does Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech talk about how important it is to get guys from North Carolina right now? How does that change the recruiting landscape? So that segues into a discussion of how, as, as we've talked about many times, the state of Virginia doesn't produce the talent it used to. Um, in Northern Virginia it does, in the 757 it kind of does, but it doesn't much in Richmond anymore, and certainly not once you get west of Charlottesville. There are almost no recruits. Lynchburg, Roanoke, Southwest Virginia. Uh, recruits don't come out of those areas anymore. So Virginia Tech's been going down into North Carolina right. and having a lot of success. Uh, but then again, you know, Larry Fedora is a good recruiter. He was at one time a good recruiter. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But I think from that standpoint, uh, if – if Mac raises their recruiting profile, it's not a good thing for Virginia Tech. It's not a good thing. You know, and I guess you could say this for most head coaching hires. It's going to come down to who he hires as his coordinators and Correct. assistant coaches. Uh, if he makes two really good hires there, and, you know, maybe they could bring in a Kelly Bryant or somebody like that as a graduate transfer, um, then, yeah, they can, they can make them significantly better. But if Mac is still their head coach two years from now, how well are you recruiting? Right, and, and to your point and, about with his age, and then does that hurt your next head coach? Because he's going to come in, and maybe Mac's last two recruiting classes weren't very good, and and you're going to feel that the next coach is going to feel that a couple years down the road, similar to how I, how I think Justin Fuente is feeling it this year at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, so I, I personally, depending, and I say this not knowing who UNC had a chance to get. I don't know what kind of conversations Bubba Cunningham had throughout the whole process. Which was a quick one, like a forty-eight hour process. Well, oh yeah, no, they, no! They, I guarantee you that was uh, publicly. That they were publicly, yeah, 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 exactly. I guarantee you that was going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And maybe he realized this is the. Maybe he thought, "Oh, this is the best I can do right now." Um, I don't know. I, I always wonder why a guy like Greg Schiano doesn't get a job like that. I mean, yeah. the guy wanted Rutgers. He understands mid Mid Atlantic recruiting. Um, I know. I've never been able to figure that one out. Or even myself. like a Brent Venables, one of the top defensive coordinators in football. How is he not a head coach yet at Clemson, yeah, yeah. from Clemson? I mean, uh, so anyways, interesting stuff. And I, I do want to point out, by the way, regardless if Mac, let's say he does elevate the recruiting a little bit better, North Carolina from Vidora, Justin Fuente and his staff, they're, they're great recruiters. I mean, I, I don't think that's going to. Well, some tech fans would disagree with that. That's a conversation yeah. for another day. Let's wrap this point up, though, about Paul Johnson. A couple of questions here. Do you think he was forced out, or do you think he wanted to retire? I don't think he was forced out. 
Um, I mean, how old is he? Mid sixties, maybe early. Yeah, so? I mean, I, th- I think it, I think at some point it's just time, and I think he recognized it. Uh, I mean, he was there a long time. He was there. I think in he got hired in eleven seasons. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Two thousand eight I mean, was his first season. Yeah, right? and I, and I think at this point, you know, you're obviously taken uh, Georgia Tech as uh, as far as you're going to take him. Um, so I'm not surprised that he that he retired. Let's see, he is. Well, he's only sixty one. He looks older than that. Hmm. Um, I don't think he was forced out though. They went seven and five this year. He'll probably coach the bowl game. Yeah, uh, I, I think he was smart. I mean, I see a lot of coaches coach too long, quite frankly, and their last two or three, four years is not as good as they were at their peak, and it leaves a bad taste in people's mouths to a certain extent. You know, it's, it's entirely possible that he'll wind up at, a, at an FCS school Who knows? That, that runs the triple. Oh, he used to coach. Well, I think it was Georgia Southern back in the day. Mm-hmm. They yeah. were really yeah. good. Um, so I, I think uh, he – who knows? Um, it, it, and the reason I just bring that up, though, it'll be interesting to see who Georgia Tech hires because they're likely going to go away from the triple option. Yeah. It's going to take a year or two to get the literally – Or three or four. Or three right. Or four. The, those recruits I – mean, and I'm curious because you look at the ACC Coastal and at least the big names that are in – there are a lot of big-name coaches in the Coastal right now. There really are. I mean, yeah. from Pat Narduzzi to Justin Fuente to – anyways, a, a lot of – Big names in uh, in the ACC Coastal. That'll be something to look out for. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is proudly presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Virginia Tech basketball, and then we'll get our predictions for the Marshall game coming up on Saturday. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Again, our thanks to the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, for being the proud partners of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Welcome back, Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, and Chris Coleman. We transition for a moment from football to men's basketball because there's been a lot of things going on in Hokie hoops. Uh, the women are undefeated right now. They went down to the UCF tournament over Thanksgiving, came away with a big win against Villanova. And then we talk about the men's. We have not talked since they won the Charleston Classic, yeah. they knocked off Purdue. But we're going to begin our conversation with the most relevant news in men's basketball. That was a tough 63-62 to loss last night to Penn State in Happy Valley, the ACC Big Ten Challenge. CC, you've got an article up right now on Tech Sideline. I'll let you get the first crack at it. What were your thoughts on the loss? Well, it comes down to turnovers and offensive rebounding. And we know Virginia Tech is at a disadvantage on the boards. So they're being a really aggressive defensively this year trying to win the turnover margin by a significant number to offset their disadvantage on with offensive rebounding. So if they can come up with like a net positive or even break even between those two stats, then they have a great chance to win the game. I think they were minus one against Purdue. Uh, I think they were minus four in offensive rebounds, plus three for turnover margin for a minus one overall. So they basically broke even against Purdue and won the game by six points. Last night against Penn State, though, they were minus five. And you know they're going to be down with offensive rebounds, so you've got to do a good job on turnovers, and they did an awful job on turnovers last night. They were just plus one. Um, 
and Penn and as a result, you know, Penn State had five more scoring opportunities. They took seven more shots, and they won the game by and one point. And they won by one point. Yeah. So, yeah. It, so to me, it, it's a possession-oriented game. I thought Justin Robinson, relatively speaking, considered considering the fact that he's a senior and a first-team All ACC preseason player, probably had the worst game of his career last night, in my opinion. One assist, six turnovers. Um, the only, he's only committed more than five turnovers, like two other times in his entire career. Once against Nebraska a couple years ago in a game we won, and once against Maryland-Baltimore uh, County, who apparently gives every team in the state of Virginia a lot of trouble. He had, <laughs> he had one assist and seven turnovers in that game, but he, but he was a sophomore then. Um, last year he only had two games where he had more than three turnovers, I think is what I wrote yeah. in my article or yeah. something like that. So it was just very uncharacteristic of him. And when you're playing on the road like that against a team, quite frankly, Penn State won 26 games last year. 26 games. Won the NIT. Uh, can't go on the road against a team as decent as Penn State and have your senior point guard turn the ball over six times and, and really expect to win. So so there was some discussion on Tech sideline of, of there are games early in the season where Buzz looks like he's just kind of letting the team do their own thing, you know, and, and – he, he isn't necessarily taking charge of the game. Um, and, and, Chris, you and I haven't had a chance to talk about it in the office before we're talking about it now. But I wonder if there's something to that, that, that Buzz likes to put his team in certain situations and just kind of see what they do. And, 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 and you, then coach you, from there. Yeah, he, he, he's, he thinks – I think he's one of those guys that thinks that every team is different in terms of chemistry and what they need. Some teams need to be – you need to leave them alone – some teams you need to yell at them. Some teams you need to jump up and down on the sideline. We've seen this over his career. He'll change his behavior from game to game because it's what he thinks the team needs. And I wonder if – and I, I said this on Twitter. When that game was coming down to crunch time, I said, this is a veteran team, and this is the kind of gut check game where they need to pull it out when they're not playing their best. And it wasn't like Penn State was playing all that great either. They were playing well enough, but it wasn't like you're sitting there going – Oh man, look at that! You know, and I could go on a tangent about that that I won't. But maybe that was just Buzz going. I'm not going to micromanage this game. I'm going to see what my senior point guard can do and all these experienced players. And unfortunately, the answer last night wasn't a good answer. Yeah. But but and and Buzz would never admit that. No coach would ever admit that. You know. Yeah. Because um, that's not what they get paid for. They don't get paid to put the kids out there and see what they do. They get paid to win games. That could easily be correct. Um. I don't think it is in this case because at this point he's got so many seniors. At this point, what more can you tell him when it comes? I mean, Justin Robinson should know, should know not to take that shot as, as a senior. Yeah. Um, I, so I don't think he's really learning anything about this group that he didn't already know. I'm sure he's learning things about particular players. Um, but, uh, you know, play, Tech played seven guys last night, and uh, they played four seniors, a junior, and two sophomores seen all those guys play before and play together before so there's nothing else to learn at this point in my opinion I was disappointed that they lost a game by one point with a timeout in in their pocket Um, you know they got the ball with 30 seconds left inbounded they tried to go through Blackshear it wasn't there he gave it back to Justin Robinson okay 15 17 seconds come off the clock at that point the play you called did not work you've got two timeouts left at that point call one of them Call one of them. You're right in front of your own bench. Just call a timeout, inbound it again, try to come up with a different play. 
Uh, he did not call a timeout. Justin Robinson put up a 25-footer, and Tech lost the game. Um, but the theory is he's standing there going, okay, the play didn't work. Let's see if my senior point guard does the right thing. I, I know, but Justin Robinson's a senior. You know, there's nothing more to learn about Robinson at this point. But there's more for Robinson to learn. There's more for Robinson to learn, but he's the man. The, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, win the game. At this point, win the game. Win the game so you're I, not an eight the, or nine if, seed if, yet again. If those guys are, if those guys are freshmen, sophomores, even juniors, sure, I buy. I'll buy into that argument. But man, that's that's an experienced team on the court last well, night. Well, and and to start arguing the other side of the coin, win the game so you're not an eight or a nine seed right. yet again. Right. You know, yeah. that's an important game that will right. get you off that 8-9 line. Right. Yeah, I think if Virginia Tech wins that game, I know you've got Washington left. I think Virginia Tech probably runs the table in the non-conference. Yeah, You're looking I, don't at, know, I, don't know, I don't know enough about Washington to really forecast Washington that. is a pretty good team. They're 58th in the NET. Virginia Tech hammered them last year in that tournament. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah. But then they developed into a pretty good team after that. Uh, they run, right. they, they run the Syracuse zone. Um, they'll be a tough out. Yeah. They'll be a tough out. They did uh, lose by 20 to Auburn, who's ranked eighth in the country. They, they, they found their they groove did. a little bit here. Yeah. So so watch Buzz's behavior in the Washington game, okay, and just compare it to the Penn State yeah. game. What we, what we need to point out here is at this point in time, last, last year, Virginia Tech did not have a quadrant one win. They didn't have a quadrant one win until ACC play. They've already got one quadrant one win right now, and – that's uh, and that's against Purdue, yep. in a neutral site game, and Purdue is going to stay in the top fifty the entire year, no doubt about it. Um, they might get another quadrant win, one win against Washington. If they beat Washington, Washington could finish in the top fifty. That that's a neutral site win against a top fifty team, uh, which would be very impressive. So there's a chance Tech starts their ACC schedule with two quadrant one wins, whereas at this point last year they didn't have any. But even if they don't beat Washington, or even if Washington doesn't end up as a top 50 team in the NET, Tech already has a better resume right going now into going into ACC play than they did last year. And we don't know exactly what this new system is, the NET, that to replace the RPI. But to me, it seems like there's not as, as much of a focus on the bad teams that you played in non-conference. It's more about, oh, did you beat any any other NCAA tournament teams? As you know, And the fact that Oh, you might have played Maryland Eastern Shore. Just not take away from the fact that you will beat Purdue on a north, on a neutral court. So I don't think these uh, these non conference games against the Maryland Eastern Shores and the VMIs. I don't think they. I don't think they're going to matter as much anymore. That's my personal opinion. I could be wrong. We're going to have to wait and see how it plays out. And honestly, that it's the better system. And and we've talked about this in football all the time. The schools with money are making it about money. And I can guarantee you the same things happen in, in football. I mean, in, in all, all the good RPI teams, you know, that you know you're going to crush, but yet you know they're also going to be 50 or 70 spots ahead of Maryland Eastern Shore, they cost a lot more. And guess what? Virginia Tech doesn't have that much money. So we're getting outscheduled by teams with more money. And I think this new system takes away that to a certain extent. And I, I don't think the schools with more money can – leave Virginia Tech with the, the scrap heaps as well. They can still leave Virginia Tech with the scrap heaps, but the scrap heaps aren't going to matter as much as your quality wins these days. Well, it was just announced today that Tech's game against Central Connecticut State on Saturday is a sellout. That's at 5 o'clock. And uh, the football game's at noon, so it should be a good day for Tech Athletics. 
go to the football game, then go right over to Castle and see the men's play. Yeah, I think the uh, last I saw the weather forecast was not good. It was a 90% chance of rain, but I haven't looked in a couple of days. Temperature is going to be decent in the 50s, but I think it's going to be raining. We have a question about Landers Nolly, I believe. We do. When is Nolly finally For, going that, to be is clear? Is that Josh Odie? It is. Yeah. That's Hello, a, Josh. Yeah, that's one of my college friends. All right, well, yeah. help your college friend out. What do you, what do you think? When's when he going to be cleared? We know they were hoping he would be cleared by the Charleston tournament, and then they were hoping he would be cleared by St. Francis, and then now they're saying, oh, we hope he's cleared by this Saturday against Central Connecticut State. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, nobody knows this. Nobody no. knows. It's, it's it, Only Buzz Williams and the NCAA are communicating about this, and you know, Buzz has said his piece about it, I think, uh, and I don't think he's going to say anything else. Until he act, until Nolly, until they know one way or the other, um, I think the bigger question now is: Okay, at what point do you just redshirt the guy? If the NCAA hasn't made a decision by January first when ACC play starts, yeah. do you just redshirt him then? Yeah, good, yes, good I do. Because you know you're not going to really be willing to putting him in much in in, in ACC. You're going to throw him right into the fire. No. Yeah, that's not fair As to a him, and it's, gonna, and it's just going to hurt the team and hurt your chemistry. Yep. Yeah. So at one point, do you say, okay, that's it? Now, Virginia Tech, I believe, has five, six non-conference, six non-conference games. Uh, they left. have 13 total non-conference games. They've played six, so I think they have seven left. Okay. Uh, and that's off the top of my head. It may or may not be right. Okay. Well, they've got they've got enough games left to where they can get him some reps and experience against lesser competition and have him ready for ACC So we've, we've got a calendar on the wall over there that I'm looking at trying to count the games. <laughs> but, um, if, but if this drags on until after Christmas – then at that point, I mean, I would just redshirt the guy. But maybe some of that depends on what happens with the Chris Clark situation and whether he can come back on the team. You know, we've heard rumors that there's more of a chance Clark will come back than there were a few weeks ago when it seemed like there was no chance. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that either. And honestly, nobody's going to know anything about that situation ever. They're not, if Chris, Chris Clark com, comes back, they're going to be like, okay, Chris Clark is back, and we're never going to talk about what happened because New it's a student comment. privacy issue, right. issue. So you will never know what happened with Chris Clark, at least not officially. Um, so we're all kind of in limbo just waiting around right now. I'm no, no different than anybody else. Again, Tech against Central Connecticut State on Saturday. Let's At 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock at noon, Marshall, Virginia Tech. We wrap up the podcast with predictions and a score, beginning with Will Stewart. I So, first of all, a comment I wanted to make about uh, Saturday's game is that uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the crowd is like um, out of the group that I hang with and go to the games with. A lot of them are not coming. Um, Why is it just? I don't know. I really don't, I guess it's just wasn't in their, their wheelhouse or whatever. A buddy of mine brought, bought eight tickets. And everybody in our group's looking at him going, nope, not coming. So he's, he's trying to get rid of some of his eight tickets. Uh, but I do think that the people that are there are going to be the diehards. They're going to make a lot of noise. They're going to do a good job. Um, I think based on Chris's preliminary research, I like Virginia Tech's chances to win. It's, it's hard to say, though, how much got taken out of them by that, that UVA win. Uh, were they able to dial themselves back in and, and focus? Uh, but, yeah, at this point, I'm not picking Tech to lose. You know, I'm not going to give you a score, but I'm not picking them to lose. I'll, after, I, after we work on the preview, I'll, I'll pick a score out. Yeah, I think how ironic is it that J.C. Price and Cornell Brown, 
two great All-American defensive linemen for Virginia Tech. Very instrumental in starting the bowl streak in 1993. They now coach Marshall's defensive line and will be trying to end the bowl streak. I mean, that's that, that's creepy. It's very creepy. Um, so neither one of those guys is going to give the speech between the third and fourth quarters. <laughs> 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 they're going to be a little busy. Yeah, they're going to be a little bit busy. Um, Maybe they can get Jeff Holland out there. Hey, he just, hey, he's he, he just he's tuned back right in. Now. Get five beers in him and get him out there, <laughs> man. <laughs> um, as far as the game itself goes, I do like Virginia Tech's chances this week. Um, as I said earlier, Virginia Tech's defense is peaking right now. I would say, relatively speaking, I, I think. I, yeah, I think Ricky Walker being healthy is and, and, huge. And Dax really establishing himself at, at backer, I think, is a big deal. Rayshard Ashby is back and looked healthy. Looks healthy. Taiwan Garbett, I thought, has made big strides over, since the Boston College game. So I'm seeing some improvement there on the on the defensive side of the ball. And quite frankly, Marshall, 110th in the country in S&P Plus offense with a, with a retro freshman quarterback. This is the best matchup of the season for Virginia Tech since the not counting William & Mary. Since the ODU so, game. <laughs> Just, sorry, I shouldn't yeah, have said yeah, that. that. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, uh, but I, I think Virginia Tech, they learned a lesson earlier in the season. The last time they felt really good about themselves was after the Florida State game. And then they got knocked down a notch, and they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know how to handle success. Maybe they maybe they learned now. Maybe that taught them a lesson, and they finally had success again against Virginia. And maybe they're able to handle it better this time. And quite frankly, Marshall's already had a great season. And I know the Marshall players are looking forward to coming and playing a Power Five conference school, and they see it as a big opportunity and all that. But quite frankly, I think this game means more. To, or it should mean more to the Virginia Tech players than the Marshall players. This is the bowl streak on the line. Um, Marshall is 8-3. and three. They're already going to a bowl. Whether They've had a great season whether they beat Virginia Tech or not. Um, but for Virginia Tech, man, 5-7 five, five and seven or 6-6, six and six, I mean, that, that, that's, big that's a big difference. difference yeah. Big difference. And, and, I, and I've said many times in articles, the bowl streak matters to me. It does, me too. It does. And I know – Especially yeah. now that Florida State I was about to say, has yes. lost. And I, and, I, and I know everybody says, oh, but everybody goes to a bowl game these days. Yeah, that's true, but – But look, Florida but, State's not going. Look, Florida State's not going, and they're one of the richest programs in the country, and they sign the top five class every year. So it's not – sometimes it's not as easy as it seems like it would be. And if it was easy, then why is why does Virginia Tech have the longest streak or second longest streak in the country or whatever it is? Yeah. You know, it's it's obviously hard. Why does Virginia Tech have a longer bowl streak than Alabama, right? Or Ohio State. Or Michigan. Or Michigan. Or Miami. Or, 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 or any in, school in that recruits better here. than Virginia Tech, yeah. right? So I want to keep that streak going as long as possible, especially now that the asterisk – is taken okay. off for Florida State. You, you, you know, now that I call it undisputed, man. Yeah, right, it's the undisputed right, longest. The bowl undisputed streak. longest bowl streak. Well, okay. if they went on Marshall, Virginia Tech, we ha- will have the undisputed longest bowl streak, and are therefore candidates to if if they do it for what another ten or eleven years, they'll have the all time yeah, longest cause, bowl cause, streak. Because Florida State's thirty six are the longest bowl streak right. ever. Right. Um, I think Nebraska went thirty five times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and these are streaks that have ended. Right. So, man, I, I want the longest streak ever. I, do I want too. that. I do, too. I, and, and that would be legit because because Florida State had it and could have kept going in right. this era of 40-plus bowls right, right. and didn't. And didn't. And to me, now, I think if Virginia Tech doesn't make a bowl this year or does make a bowl this year, I don't think it's going to impact the recruiting class, the perception of the program, or anything. But to me, it's just personal pride. 
for myself and, and for and for the school and for the program. Um, I don't think it's going to have any change at all on the trajectory of the program. Um, it's just all it's about, just just all being, about able pride. To, being able and to say that you Exactly, did. that we did something like that. Yeah. Um, I will pick Virginia Tech this week. I could change my score once I do more research. I'm going 24-17. I like it. I'll go 31-17. Tech. Okay, there you go. Let's all I go like Hokies. I'm, I'm pretty confident this week. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good for the Hokies this week as well. I think they'll yeah. find a way to handle the success, like you said, last week. And they're going to be fired up to play this weekend. We're fired up on TechSideline.com constantly. And you can see that on our website this week. we got a lot of great content. That entails what this week, Chris? Oh, my goodness. The the game preview will come out tomorrow. I think Brandon Patterson will probably send in a Marshall preview. We'll have some more recruiting coverage. We'll have our usual Friday Q&A. Um, Corey Van Dyke so just Corey sent Van us an article about Dax Hollyfield where it, Corey interviewed Dax's, Dax's dad. dad. So there's, so there's going to be some unique content coming up also. Awesome. Looking forward to that. I love those Brandon Patterson articles, by the way. Yeah. It's really cool to yeah, see. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, a check good out analyst. his beer review. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a good analyst. Plus, he's, plus he's got a gift for writing. So rare combination. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening on Spreaker. We want to thank our viewers on Facebook Live, everyone for chiming in. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline podcast. Have a great weekend, Tech fans. Mm-hmm.